If you want to secure your retirement on your own terms, you need to go beyond conventional financial strategies. Stick around. We'll introduce you to new perspectives for enhanced wealth creation and protection. Now, on to our podcast, Beyond Conventional, with Joe Biondolillo. Hello and welcome to episode number seven. Today, Joe and I are going to talk about myth number five, the miracle of interest compounding. All right, Joe, I have heard the miracle of interest compounding or compound interest for a really long time. How exactly is this a myth? Well, it actually is a miracle, Matt. It's a miracle. Okay. It's a miracle for the financial institutions, not necessarily the consumer. Uh-huh. Okay, elaborate. The miracle of compounding interest is, I mean, you can say this is probably at the forefront of financial strategies. We've all seen the mountain chart before. Absolutely. The, the graph that mm -hmm. shows pointing up over a long period of time and you get a, a big jump at the end and it's really beneficial to compound interest and dividends over a long period of time because presuming you're making money, of course, interest begins to compound in an exponential manner. And that's probably what, what you've heard. Those are the exact words I've heard, yes. There's no doubt. You know, it's funny. There's actually very little truth in that entire curve or chart. And let's start with the fact that if you think about what that is, it's taking a hypothetical amount of time, right? So let's say you're the consumer and or the client and you come sit down with me and I'm in the investment business, which I'm not. Uh, so we're just talking all sorts of hypotheticals here. And we come up with a game plan for you to be able to retire at some hypothetical date. Mm -hmm. some hypothetical milestone. So we come up with a chart with a hypothetical amount of time and we come up with a hypothetical scenario that's based off a hypothetical rate of return from usually past performance. Mm -hmm. And we take this fixed period. And although the chart is impressive, it doesn't tell us the truth. It gives us false understanding of really where we're going to be in the future. And I think one of the things we should probably talk about today is why the number or why the amount or why the time frame or why what we're contributing to these accounts over long periods of time could ultimately be false. And we call that the pressure against the yield curve or, mm -hmm. you know, the current in the water, if you will. All right. So again, I'm sure all of the listeners are saying, well, I just, I still don't really understand what Joe's talking about here. But you're right about that last thing that you said, which is these forces that erode that's what I don't think people understand. So can we start jumping into those, please? Sure. And, and that's all the concept makes sense. But just like we've spoken about on all our unconventional podcasts is let's be fair and look at things from both sides. If we only look at it one way, we're only going to get one result. And unfortunately, when it comes to your financial strategies, if you realize that that result is wrong at about the time you're going to retire, we have a problem. Yes. So let's talk about it now okay. and understand that if you show a 6 or 7 or 8% rate of return and you're projecting compounding that from now and your savings plan is based on those irrational numbers or what could be irrational numbers over a 20 or 30 year time period, let's pressure test it. Let's shake the ball a little bit and say, okay, what if we added in some of these real life events that are going to be a result of some of the things that happened to me over the next 20, 30, or 40 years, and let's see what a result looks like then. That's some of the stuff that we've done, Matt, and it's unbelievable. Do those charts take inflation into account? They do. Really? Why, we, why do you think that might be important? 
Well, I, I think it's very, very important because your spending power, you know, toward the end of your career. So, you know, I'm 45 right now. So in 20 years, when I have the chance to retire, my dollar is not going to be worth as much. So unless compound interest is going to beat the rate of inflation, then I'm not any farther ahead. So put a little bit of a different way. Okay. If inflation is backed off of a rate of return, yes. you didn't necessarily earn what you think you might have earned. Gotcha. Does that make sense? It does make sense. That's very, very, very clear. What about volatility? So what about massive fluctuations in the stock or bond market? How, how does that infla uh, affect inflation? It affects it in a lot of different ways. Okay. Uh, well, it doesn't infect inflation necessarily. It could. But I think you might be asking is how does that affect the rate of return? Well, that, that I'm sorry. Yeah, that's thank you for clarifying. That is what I'm asking. So it could greatly affect it. And it could affect it for a lot of different reasons. And it goes back to a lot of the things that you and I have had conversations about, Matt, which is the fact that life is uncertain. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about compounding interest, and maybe the money that you're saving is going to be used for education for your children or to buy them a home or to fund your own retirement, we don't know what year those events are going to take place. And we don't know what the investments are going to look like at that time period. So presuming you're investing into things like equities that have volatility. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, if you choose to start taking distributions off of an asset in 2008 or in 2001 or 1997 or 1993 or 1987 or the list goes on, yeah. those dates might pop out to you as periods of time where we were going through either recessionary or economic slowdowns. Yes, that's correct. The leading indicator of the stock market typically will perform negatively in those years, and they did. So if your portfolio has a massive fall off in that particular year and you haven't been embraced or ready for that fall off, the rate of return on your overall investment is going to be substantially lower. So volatility certainly plays into the overall rate of return. That's one way that it affects it. There's okay. another. All right. What's the other? The other is the behavioral aspect of it. And that is what we call the emotional aspect of people utilizing their money and their cash flow. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not unlikely that if you're going to experience trouble in your business, trouble in your job, trouble with cash flow, trouble with liquidity, those are typically things that most people we work with just coincidentally experience in those same bad years that the economy is going through hard points. Hmm. So the volatility comes from forced distributions of other accounts, which might impact the overall rebound of the investments in that account. So that's one way. Mm -hmm. The second way is the emotional aspect of watching your portfolio taking a nosedive. Yeah, sure. It's scary. Yeah. It happened to me personally. Yeah. It, I, all of those dates are quite still uh, wounds for me. So yeah. So at the end of the day, when you have a large portion of your assets invested into an investment, whatever that investment is, for the sake of this conversation, we could call it the stock market, mm -hmm. and your portfolio drops and you're also watching a television that's telling you that we're on the brink of economic disaster. Mm-hmm. What do most people do in those circumstances? They panic. That's right. And if you panic at the wrong time in the stock market, what history will tell you is it could be detrimental to your overall portfolio value. Yeah, totally. Another reason why a fixed 6 or 7% indicator on what your portfolio will show you over a 30 or 40 year time period mm -hmm. is just not how life works. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, you brought something else up uh, the last couple of times. Uh, so I'm going to break the two, two more of these things. Uh, I want you to unpack them a little bit better. Taxes. So you're saying that taxes affect this too. How do taxes affect it? If you're earning 6 or 7% a year on any investment, have we ever had the conversation about gross profit and net profit? 
No. Is that a topic for another podcast or can we get through that? You know, I think we should probably make it just a podcast, but okay. let me run it by you quick. Okay, cool. So if I walk into a business owner like yourselves business and we start to talk about your cash flow mm-hmm. and I ask you how much earnings you brought in last year, mm-hmm. okay, whatever that number is, make the number up, call it a million bucks. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you earned $1 million? If your business grossed a million dollars in sales, does that mean Matt Halloran earned one million dollars? No, but that would be awesome if it did. No, I'd it'd, be, got, it, it'd be great. Yeah, but that's so, not the case. No, not at all. So, so why didn't you put a million dollars in cash in your pocket because your business grossed one million dollars? Well, because I've got taxes, I've got fees, I've got operating costs, I've got you know, I've got all sorts of different pieces that I have to take into account as a business owner. Okay, Employee so we salaries, call those ex- yeah. we call those expenses. Absolutely, right. So when you see a net seven percent return or a gross 7% return, I should say, on an investment portfolio. Mm -hmm. So let's use that same million-dollar number. Mm -hmm. If that portfolio earned you $70,000, do you put $70,000 in your pocket? Well, I think the the public would probably say yes, but as a business owner, with the context that you just put that in, I'm going to say no. But elaborate on why, though. For same reasons? Same reasons. That $70,000 is a gross number. Mm -hmm. Off that $70,000, that phenomenal financial advisor that you do business with, gets paid, deservingly so. Yeah. But that comes off of the $70,000 that you earned. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, that $70,000, if it's short-term trading gains or bond Mm. income, do you know how that's taxed in the American tax code? No, I do not. It's taxed as ordinary income. Ordinary income. Okay, that's what I was afraid you were going to say. So if you have a short-term capital gain of $70,000 on a million-dollar investment, that $70,000 is going to get added to your ordinary income. Mm-hmm. It's a large percentage of the profit, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. There's no doubt. It's one of the biggest things they're fighting for today on long-term capital gains with uh, the current tax code. There's the inflation aspect of it. There's the fee aspect of it. There's the lost opportunity cost of it. So when you look at that mountain chart, mm-hmm. talk about taxes for one second, and just use that number that we've been talking about, $70,000 on a million-dollar account. Mm-hmm. They'll show you that mountain chart continuing to compound, presuming 7% is continuing to build on that $1 million portfolio. And the reason why that's a myth, Matt, is because if you're paying the taxes like most of my clients do, which is out of their ordinary income, they're just figuring it out from the money that they've earned in other places. Essentially, what they're really doing is then writing a check back to the investment account to pay for that tax. So there's a lost opportunity because that money's getting paid somehow or some way. They've got less in their pocket today because of that profit someplace else. Hmm. Now, just to unpack that just a little bit more. So $1 million, you know, 70000 was realized or gross. What I'm hearing you say is then, so when they project that now $1,070,000, they're projecting that exact number compounding over time? That's what I've often seen. Wow, goodness gracious. Yeah, that's eye-opening, man. Holy Moses. So, you're comp- so what you're really doing is compounding your tax. Right. And by the way, why, why do you think the financial institutions love it? Oh, because it shows great growth and they're still getting paid. Assets in the management are yeah. going up every year. That's right. Wow. Kind of makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. Huh. You know, every time you and I talk, I get, I, I, we get down with these podcasts. And I, I have to sit down for a few minutes. So I'm hoping that people don't drive a lot when they're listening to these because you're really challenging some closely held beliefs with good evidence. I mean, this is everything you're saying makes sense. This isn't way out in left field. Joe, this, this is, that makes a lot of sense. I know people are shaking their head right now saying, yep, Matt, you're right. What Joe's saying makes a lot of sense. It's just that we're so caught up with doing the conventional things because everybody else does them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the most efficient or best thing for you to do. Right. All right. All right. What, uh, what, what else do we need to talk about with uh, 
the miracle of interest compounding? I, you know, I'm going to revert that question back to you, Matt, because I'm kind of one of those weird people that can talk about this stuff all day. Yeah. Well, okay. So I do have one more question for you. And my, my last question is you brought this up previously, and I think it bears repeating here because it's very applicable, which is like this idea of lost opportunity costs. In our last podcast that we did together when we were talking about um, to have more protection, I will have less cash flow today. And we also talked about it in the one previous to that, which was the 15-year mortgage costs less than the 30-year mortgage, which if you have not listened to those uh, listeners, you have to go back and listen to those podcasts, which was myth number three, myth number four. Let's talk about the lost opportunity cost in reference to the miracle of interest compounding. There's a lost opportunity cost on allowing interest to compound. And the reason for that is because if you have this phenomenal portfolio, what could the interest on that asset be doing if it's withdrawn from the investment account and then invested someplace else? Now, what that investment is, I don't know. Hmm. But if it could be better, it could be worse. We don't know. Mm -hmm. But it could be a lost opportunity because the reality of it is, again, we look at everything from a 30,000-foot view. There might be other areas in one's financial world where there's deficiencies or inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. And if we can utilize other assets that a client has and re-engineer those assets to, with no additional out-of-pocket cost, eliminate some other deficiencies, that's some really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And by not doing that, plus currently having the deficiencies, there's a lost opportunity by them maintaining and compounding interest and dividends and just traditional investment accounts. If you were to arm our listeners right now with a poignant question to ask their financial advisor in reference to this, what question would you ask? I'd ask the question very simply. I'd start by asking them what was the rate of return that we saw last year on our investment account. Okay. When they answer that question, I want them to then ask them if that number is net of taxes, inflation, investment fees, or not. Hmm. And if the answer to that question is no, I want them to then ask them what would, what percentage of my profit would represent taxation, your fee, and the cost of holding that money, which is a better known as inflation. Mm -hmm. Whatever that net number is, have a good conversation about the financial person that maybe 7% isn't the right way to project your financial future if 35 or 4% is being eroded away by some of the eroding factors. Gotcha. All right, everybody. Everybody who's listening now has a great, great question to ask their financial advisor, because this is an eye-opening podcast here, and if, if the answer that you're getting doesn't make you feel 100% confident, um, I, I would like to ask all of you to just reach out to Joe at his office and, and sit down and have a different discussion about finances, something that is truly beyond conventional, something that's going to make you look at your money in a different way, because it's always important to look at everything from every angle instead of just the one that's presented to you. All right, Joe, well, thank you very much for your brain again today, man. My pleasure. Always is. All right. Well, this is episode number seven, myth number five of the six universally accepted financial myths with Joe. This was the miracle of interest compounding. Thank you very much. And if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please make sure that you click the subscribe button below. That way, when we come out with a new podcast, it will show up immediately on your phone or your playing device. Thank you very much and have a magnificent day. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Contact your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Beyond Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. By providing this content, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Joseph Biondalillo is a financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Beyond Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0I32947. Arkansas Insurance License Number 1281376. Submission Number 2023151751 expires 03-2025.